Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Wahoo! And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. If you go to YouTube and search for Our Three Cents, you can find our YouTube channel, which has got loads of great video content on there, from the mini-series Chris has produced looking at gaming history to our streaming content, like my recent playthrough of Rayman. These videos are also available on our IGTV channel. On Instagram, we are at O3C Podcast. Follow us there to keep up with the more visual side of what we're doing. You can also subscribe to us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash O3C Podcast, if you want to be able to tune in to see us stream live. And we also have our Patreon page for those of you looking to get even more out of the podcast. Head over to patreon.com slash our three cents and look at the amazing perks you can get by pledging a few pennies of support. Perks such as full exclusive bonus episodes like our most recent one, all about our favourite architecture in video games. Check it out. So this week we have our 22nd favourite video games of all time. But before we do that, it's time to return to the quiz where it is the closest I think it's been in, I mean, as, as long as I can remember, since the very beginning, because there is only one point in it. Oh, I'm so really annoyed. So let's see if Minty can draw level. Oh, imagine if I did. Here we go. In Metal Gear Solid. No. Okay. For the PlayStation. Okay. Solid Snake's final battle is against which enemy? Big Boss. Liquid Snake. The correct answer is Liquid Snake. Oh. Chris gets the point. <laughs> Congratulations, Chris. I had to get it right. It was on my list. Well, there we go. Two-point lead again for you, Chris. Don't worry, Minty. Loads of time. Loads of time, (laughs) loads of points. Less time, though. I'm not worried. So before we dive into what we've been playing in this last week, the big current news on our lips and brains, on our brain lips, is that we (laughs) have just had the Super Mario 35th anniversary Nintendo Direct announcements. Yes, we have. And we've got some goodies on their way. Some coming pretty soon. Yeah. So... Let's go through, in order of the uh, the Direct, the things that were mentioned. Firstly, the Game & Watch Mini type thing. Looks like a Game & Watch. Yeah. You've got a full-colour backlit LCD screen, and you can play the original Mario and the Lost Levels on it, and also use it as a watch. I mean... It's a nice little thing, isn't it? I really love the presentation of it. Mm. And and for me, when I was growing up, I, I used to love like Tiger LCD games. Oh, yeah. You know, our, our generation, we were probably slightly too young for Game & Watch because that was kind of like mid-80s. Yeah. Although I did have a Donkey Kong clamshell did you? Uh, Game & Watch, yeah. I had a Donkey Kong Jr. Did you? I'm, st- I'm sure I still got it somewhere. Well, you're both quids in because they're worth a fair few pennies. Had is the operative word. Yeah, not in the condition I left it in. <laughs> But I, I really like the little Game & Watch handheld, the, the Mario thing they're, they're selling. is It gives me a similar sort of vibe because it's really mm. unnecessary. Yeah. It's it's basically, you know, it is a single title or, you know, two if you're being generous with the Lost Levels. But it's a distinct handheld that only plays one game. Yeah. And it's 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 decadent and it's really foolish and I'll probably buy 10. Probably. <laughs> like, I, I really, I, I just really like it. 
I, I really like the idea of this this kind of stupid stuff. And yeah. I hope next year for for the Zelda 35th anniversary, they do one that is um, maybe Legend of Zelda and Adventures of Link or something. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think that'd be a nice little counterpoint to to have next. That to it. would be, wouldn't it? I mean, mm. I'm I'm going to give it a miss, but. I do want one. Yeah. <laughs> and and to be fair, I thought it was going to be... It's, it's £45, which is, don't get me wrong, absurd to pay for a game that you can get for free in a million places. But yeah, also, yeah. I, I, I thought it was going to be more expensive. I did too. I, 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 I thought I was it was going to be like, like 70 quid or something. Yeah, same for me. Because it's like a collectible and it's limited and it's already sold out everywhere, isn't it? Mm. But I, I am going to pass on that one. Are you going to succumb to the game and watch, Minty? What? No. <laughs> He's sensible. <laughs> Game and what? <laughs> <laughs> Much of the reason that, you, that you've described. As I've alluded to previously many times before, I am a man of poverty and a man of not particularly gainful uh, living area. So even something that is that will uh, fit in the palm of my hand, where would I put it? In my eggshell of a flat. Yeah. In the palm of your hand at all times. Yeah. Second item in the direct was the. Uh, I mean, we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming from the moment that the Switch was announced. The port of Super Mario 3D World now onto the Switch talking. from the yeah. Wii U. Yeah, yeah. And it is coming with a little bit of uh, additional content in the form of Bowser's Fury, which I'm, I'm hoping it means you can play as Bowser. I'd like it if you played as Bowser and then played back through all of the levels in reverse with uh, alternate objectives. Oh dear, yeah. But uh, but then I, I have I haven't played Super Mario 3D World, so I'm I'm really looking forward to getting that. I've already slapped a pre-order down. I did that on the day. No no problem. No problem. I, I can't wait to play it again. It's one of the best 3D Marios. Yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's 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 the perfect synergy of 2D and 3D Mario, and and it's just. It's like an unparalleled high in a franchise of of just highs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's yeah, very it's very enough. good, very very strong. The next thing that was announced was unexpected, and it could be brilliant. Super Mario Thirty Five, the Battle Royale yeah. <laughs> Super Mario game that is exactly the same formula as Tetris Ninety Nine, but playing Mario, and if you kill an enemy, it goes to somebody else's screen, and that just sounds brilliantly chaotic and great fun so I, I i didn't actually watch the direct so just that one sentence makes me want to play it <laughs> what, what is, what yeah. is it? Are you just playing mario and hoping you you get that you get to the flag first but i yeah i mean all those all those nuances are, are yet to be found but goodness mm. knows goodness knows yeah yeah i i would like to see this in action like properly to actually play it but Mm. I think I think I'd be more into the idea if someone hadn't basically made this as a fan game a few years ago online, and then Nintendo oh, just really? ceased and desisted them into oblivion. Because uh, there was a version where basically you played a hundred games of Mario at once with other players. Oh, that does ring a bell, yeah. And and I think if this was like a Sonic Mania situation when Nintendo had had seen it and gone, you know what, I think I think there's potential in that, and then gave them the reins, kind of thing. I, I think I'd be all behind it, but mm. at the moment, I, I think that it's going to be probably great fun, and I'll play it and I'll enjoy it. But it's just a little bit grubby because it. <laughs> I think I think it existed. I, I think it definitely existed, and this is one where the lawyers did their work, and then Nintendo just sort of laid low for a while, and then just picked it up, and it was like, "Remember this?" <laughs> and yeah. then they're just uh, they're kind of going to take the take the praise on this one. Uh, I didn't know that. Didn't know that that CD side of of this, yeah. of this story. Sorry the. Fourth thing announced was Mario Kart Home Circuit, which is 
Utterly <laughs> ridiculous. It takes the form of a physical Mario Kart toy with a camera in the top of it. And then you lay out a racetrack in the real world. And then you play it and control it through your Switch. And it uses augmented reality so that you're racing properly Mario Kart style around it. It's absurd. It's utterly absurd. It's insanely creative. And to be honest, the only use of AR I've seen that gets me a little bit excited because I don't, I, I just haven't bought into AR at all. I just don't, yeah, I haven't seen anything that makes me go, oh, that's cool. But this looks like a really good way of doing it. I think that the the cost of it is far too expensive. You're looking at 100 quid for one set, yeah. which only comes with one racing thing. So you can't even do two, like you can't play with somebody else, which I imagine will be the whole whole point of it really yeah and also you need a lot of empty space and and flat space that you know it's just like i don't know i don't know how many people are actually going to be able to get the best out of it and it's the sort of thing where to be honest like if this came out five years ago i would have bought it i would have slapped pre-orders down for both sets <laughs> and had a great time but i've got to let this one go what do you think do you remember that scene in the dark night where uh, the articulated lorry is driving across and then Batman sort of goes under and around sort of the wheel axes and yes. sets off all the uh, trip wires and that. And it just goes and it just goes completely vertically up and then crashes down. Yes. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that we'll be able to see that play out on our living room floor when um, <laughs> when, you're, when your little when your little object gets uh, gets blue shelled or whatever. Because you look at that shit happening on the screen, and you're like, well, that's tantamount to Hiroshima. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hold uh, the laws of physics in any regard, really, because you're driving along at any speed, and, and then you just sort of go. You completely stop and you're just sort of flip-flopping in the air. So I'm kind of hoping that this AR experience will take object collision into account. So you can just be driving it along and then, oh, I'm going to get blue shelled. But wait, I'll get the popcorn because some shit is about to go down on my bedroom floor. And then there's just a little little hydraulic thing on the bottom of the model that makes it go... That would be great. I won't lie. That's worth the asking price. I think it looks like a real laugh, but as as you mentioned, I don't know how practical this is going to be in UK homes. Yeah. <laughs> what, American homes as well, because people are not all living in mansions, but <laughs> for me, it's like, I, I've got a reasonable size flat and 90% of it is carpeted. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine little Mario is going to zip along the carpet that well. No. And, and you, you then have the issues that, okay, if you're going to lay out a track that goes between rooms... Are we working on the strength of the the switch connecting to the the you know the car itself with yeah. its own kind of wireless connection? Is it a Wi-Fi thing that you've got to have like strong Wi-Fi around your home and it's it's both accessing the same hub? So and, until we can see kind of a practical application of it, yeah. where someone said, okay, I've got a set, this is in my house and this is what it looks like. Yeah. I think it's very easy to go, yeah, yeah, trailer looks great because it looks really fun and exciting. Yeah. But, you know, I think all of us, when we actually step back and think, okay, well, what's this going to look like practically? Yeah. It's maybe not for us and, and maybe not for anyone <laughs> in this country unless <laughs> unless you live in a fucking village hall. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see what the world does with it. And I think there's going to be some great YouTube videos yes, yeah. uh, showing sort of some amazing uh, track creations. 
so the next announcement that came up was the announcement that Super Mario All-Stars was coming to this SNES online service on the Switch. And this is something that I, I spoke about not, not too long ago, saying that this was one of the games that I coveted as a, as a child. You did. So I've played through most of it in the, in the last few days. I, I played through the first Super Mario Brothers, which was weird physics. It's not the same as the original, but it, yeah, and I didn't like that. I didn't, and also, like, I, I don't think I've played through the original Super Mario Brothers probably more than once, and I don't yeah. remember that very well. And so there was a lot of stuff that I was like, I've forgotten this was here, you know, like the the trial and error puzzle bits in the yeah. in Bowser's castle. Annoying. That's shit. <laughs> so that was that was fine. It was nice to play through it. It didn't take long. Then I played through the Lost Levels, which was great fun. I really enjoyed that. It felt it felt more like playing Mario Maker levels because it yeah. is very, very tricky. And I was certainly glad that there is like a save state uh, functionality on the uh, mm. on, on that and, and a rewind. And I decided to jump over Super Mario Brothers 2 for now. Not a real Mario game. Well, it's, it's not, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's when you play Super Mario Brothers 3 you see what the actual evolution of the Mario games is. It's very clear. And I like that. And I, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've played Super Mario Brothers 3, which is, uh, which is quite something. And it's fantastic. It feels very ahead of its time. It feels like there's stuff in there and mechanics in there that you would expect to see in a Mario Maker level or in like New Super Mario Brothers game. But it's not. It's all there. You've got great puzzle levels with like hidden blocks and switches and stuff. You've got those really cool like wraparound original Mario Brothers style levels where you can sort of go off the screen one side and come back the next. And that's great. Like you mentioned last week, Minty, that it took you years to beat the game because there wasn't any save functionality. Mm. And it baffles me because the game is huge. It's not a one sitting affair. Like it's ridiculous that you couldn't save it. And there's loads of like little hidden things to find and everything like using the little items on like the overworld and stuff to find all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and it's the sort of game that, yeah, warrants kind of like saving and returning to and sort of exploring and stuff. And yeah, well, one of of the uh, one of the big selling points on the back of the uh, of the game box was the pause button. Yes. I remember very clearly it said (laughs) press pause to take a break and then continue from where you left off. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you you need that because you're going to be there for about three or four days if you're going to do it in one block yeah it's utterly absurd but i'm on the last world of that now so i've almost finished that and then i think i, I will give super mario brothers 2 a go because i won't have played that since i had it on the game boy advance yeah so the final announcement that, that came is again it wasn't wasn't a huge surprise but it was certainly one that brought some revelry with it and that is super mario 3d all-stars the compilation hd ports of Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy. Now, I am super, super pumped for this. So, so as I've said countless times before, I never had an N64, which meant I never played the original version of Mario 64, only the DS version, which was my 42nd favourite video game. And it's been a long time since I've played that, so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to revisiting that in 3D All-Stars. And because of that, it meant that Super Mario Sunshine was the first 3D Mario game I played and yeah which means its impact on my when I got to play that was quite powerful like when did it come out it's like 
what, 20, must be almost 20 years ago now. It probably is, yeah. So again, it's been years since I played it. Obviously, in true Jonathan Dunn style, I played through it a second, a third, a fourth time to completion <laughs> when I did have it. And, and, and to be honest, there's nothing stopping me from revisiting it again, because I've got my favourite GameCube set right here. But, you know, being able to play this video game handheld and in HD, oh, it's going to be just of just an all-time wonderful experience. And I... Uh, I can't wait. I mean, it's just so oh, so vibrant, splashing about in the sunshine. I love it. I mean, <laughs> I'll save my full thoughts on the game for another, uh, what is it? Another time. No, I can't do the maths on that yet. Uh, <laughs> but I've also not played Mario Galaxy either. So I'm very excited to play that. And it, and it's all coming so soon. It's like, I mean, next, next week, two weeks. That's about two weeks. Is yeah. that, I mean, oh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I am also very excited for for all sorts of reasons. Like, I haven't played Sunshine much, if if at all, like outside of the first hour. I have played 64 and Mario Galaxy a lot, uh, but I'm really looking forward to playing them again on the Switch. But this is a really weird release for a few reasons. Like, for me as like the, the collector person... Minty's already tapped out as not having the collective mindset today, but there are some very strange choices <laughs> made around this game that I don't fully understand what Nintendo is doing, which is a little bit odd. Like, I can forgive the fact that these games, they're, they're upscaled, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're sharpened and everything, but they, they haven't been remastered. That doesn't bother me at all. There, there's some people that are really whinging that it's not getting like a full Crash Bandicoot-style remaster. Yeah, and... I don't care. Like I honestly, I don't care. They they look absolutely fine. They're going to play really well. That's that's not the issue. But it's things like I find it very strange they haven't included Mario Galaxy Two. Yeah. Given that it is the same engine as one and uses most of the same assets, and and I'm sure yeah. would you know is as easy as just dropping the ISO file for the CD onto the Switch cartridge. Like it, it would take no <laughs> yeah. extra work. So that's that's very strange. Unless it's going to come as like a DLC down the line, maybe. But the weirder thing for me is it's having a limited release, yeah. which you think, okay, a limited physical release. I can, I can just about get my head around why they might do that to kind of like push, you know, that sort of fear of missing out excitement to, to order a copy, especially over Christmas with new consoles from, from Sony oh, and Microsoft. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a good, a good gambit, I think, to try and draw people into the Switch. But it's also a, a limited digital release, yeah. which seems mental. Yeah, because this is not like a, a live service game where it's like we're going to support it for two years and then switch it off this is three of the most important games ever made and Nintendo <laughs> have said you can play them absolutely but you can only buy them to play in the next six months I don't know what I don't know what the plan is I read uh, an excellent uh, insight online that I can entirely see playing out is that come March when they say this finishes they're going to announce the N64 Mini. Yeah. And then Mario 64, Mario Sunshine and Galaxy will then be available as individual titles to download on the eShop, at which point Galaxy 2 will then be announced as a digital download on its own. Yeah. And that makes 100% sense that that is what will happen. Yeah, I think the next six months are going to gather a lot of data for the people who play these three games. I think it's going to be a period of Q&A before the N64, GameCube and Wii. Well, not virtual console, but the uh, those three consoles move on to the uh, onto the Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember there was a big hoo ha. Like, oh, will the GameCube's analog triggers will they work on the digital Switch shoulder buttons? Mm. That sort of thing. So, 
And I wonder if they're going to use the release of Sunshine in a very controlled way to say, okay, it seems like this works. So let's uh, let's let's push through some GameCube games. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm just excited to play them again, has to be said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be great. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Retrograde Amnesia is a comprehensive podcast where we relive a classic Japanese RPG. Season 1 covers the cult classic Xenogears. In Season 2, we're covering Chrono Cross. Each episode, we take a section of the game and unpack the story, mechanics, music, and themes. And we have an AI companion, the fake net. It'll make sense later. Find Retrograde Amnesia wherever podcasts are found. So, what have we been playing this week? So, I've actually I've managed to actually finish some games off this week. Well, one game, which was uh, Raji, an ancient epic, which which was really really good. Like a lot of reviews I read criticised it for being a bit too short, but I mean I think it was a really good length to be honest for for a game that was criticised being short. It was a lot longer than I expected it to be, oh, <laughs> and, and there's a surprising amount of, of of depth and development in it. Some good sort of RPG light stuff and and everything. However, my my sort of overriding feeling about the game is that it would work much, much better as a VR game akin to something like Moss. Yeah. Because like Moss is a, is a beautiful game where you're playing as a human looking down on this mouse that you're controlling. And the story of Raji is, is told very much from a God's eye view. And I think being able to play it like that would really add to how the story's told. And you'd have added depth perception for some tricky jumps that are in there, which you know, some people have criticised as well and were a bit annoying. And like the shorter runtime would suit the experience perfectly. Plus there's a great section with a massive snake that would be like a great VR set piece. I think that would be fantastic. It felt a bit strange playing it on the Switch because I played it handheld and I don't know, the camera was so far out at times that you could barely see what you were doing and you could barely read some of the text on the screen. It was not very, it's not very well thought out to play it handheld. I'm sure it's clearly been developed as like a 4K game and then... Nintendo got the timed exclusive rights for it. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays on other other platforms. And like I said, I think it'd be a great VR game. I've also started playing Spiritfarer, which is really, really lovely. It's a game that's described as a cozy management sim about death. And the general premise is that you are you're a young girl called Stella, and you and your cat Dandelion are taking over from Kron, the boatman, as the new spirit fairer, seeking to bring souls over the cusp of existence into the afterlife. Right, I'm only a short way in so far, and I did actually start playing it on my PC because it's included in Xbox Game Pass. But about half an hour in, I was like, oh, this would be much, much nicer fit on the Switch. So I considered my Game Pass version a demo and bought it on the Switch. And I'm, I'm having a lovely time. It's it's gorgeous. It's got great art style. It's got great design. Like the message it's got is it's lovely. It's very beautifully crafted. I definitely recommend checking it out. And I, I plan to put a bit more time into it over the next week and, and give some, some fuller impressions. Nice. How about you guys? Minty, what have you played this week? I've beaten the Lost Levels of Doom 64. Oh, well done. Yeah, they, they were included as, uh, as part of the remake. I don't know if they were levels that were not deemed good enough for the original cartridge release or whether they were they were made afterwards as like a oh this is doom 64 let's 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 make some more stuff just to include it as a more complete package but yeah oh they were tough actually i think it was maybe six or seven levels and 
I've spoken about um, Doom 64 sort of being a, a, a gentler Doom experience, so I'm happier playing it on higher difficulties, but it was tough. <laughs> they're tough levels, um, but they're really good fun, and I've beaten it now, so... I don't really have the compulsion to be like, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to finish off all of these levels that I haven't beaten yet. But I probably will still go back to it because it's just such a fun game. I'm trying to play through Doom Two on Ultraviolence now, and oh, I just can't keep up. I'm too gentle a soul. I'm too gentle a soul. But yeah, I'm also, as is an eternal truth, I'm in a, I'm in a platform-heavy section of Bug Fables, ah, and. The cartoony art style doesn't lend itself well to 3D platforming at all. It's mm. like, if they made shadows a bit more of a thing, then I'd be more happy with it. But each character sprite has four directional models, so you can't tell if you're if you're setting an icicle down to the southwest or to the northwest. And it's it's incredibly frustrating. I feel a compulsion to beat it because I'm such a big fan of Paper Mario. And <laughs> this game is... It's what the fan base wants, but it's just not that good. <laughs> oh, that's depressing, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Well, at least if you beat it, you can sort of have a definitive opinion on it that is founded in everything. It's a slog. It's not enjoyable, but I'm hoping that it's a book that just gives you a paper cut every time you turn the page. (laughs) Where the words are so affecting and so beautiful that every single nerve ending that's shredded is a price well paid. But we'll see, we'll see. (laughs) How about you, Chris? What have you played this week? This week I've been playing my 22nd favourite video game of all time in preparation for this episode. Oh, Amazing. And I th- I thought about and, and sort of toyed with the idea of trying to do the the seamless Jonathan Dunn or Minty Booth segue between sections of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think I could pull it off. Uh, certainly not as, as uh, effortlessly as you did, Jonathan, back with Papers, Please, when you just, <laughs> yeah. you just reclined into it at the end by saying like, oh, by the way. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I, I've been playing it mainly because it's it's an easy one to kind of put a little bit of time into. And I've had a really busy week. Like I've, I've started my, my new teaching job that I've mentioned on here a few times. There's been a lot of kind of like the planning to do with that. And, and as I'm getting used to kind of returning as well to like having a sanctioned place of work again, you know, I've been outside mm. of, of the school environment for almost six months now. It hasn't really given me much time for anything else. So I've not really played much else. I haven't exiled any more games to the, the trading credit gods. So I've just spent the week playing Peggle. Oh, Peggle. Yeah. Peggle is, is Peggle. just one of my favourite games. I mean, I played it to refresh my memory, not because it's a game that you forget, because Peggle is not <laughs> something you forget, but it is a game that I think is so outwardly simple that it would be really easy to sell it short. Yes. And, and I think if I hadn't refreshed my memory on it this week, like played for five or six hours, I, I would have forgotten maybe some of like the mechanical depth and, and why... This is a game that 
I enjoy so much and can put so much time into. What did you play it on? I played this time on on the PC because I found it in my Steam library. But originally, I, I played Peggle Deluxe, which was the port to the Xbox 360. Ah, uh, yes. The, the 360 port is slightly shinier. They, they kind of upscaled the graphics and cleaned it up a bit. Bizarrely, none of that ever got retrofitted into the PC release, so you still have to play it 800 by 600, and it looks a bit jagged, you could say, but it, it plays fine. <laughs> I, th- I think for Peggle, <laughs> we, we talk all the time about music in games. Like last week, I, I said a huge part of Hotline Miami's lure was that it had that presentation, it had that soundtrack. But sometimes there's games where it's actually like sound effects or incidental bits of music that really stick with you as opposed to the overall score. You've got things like, you know, Sonic's panicked, you're about to drown theme. Oh, God. That, that I think is going to probably accompany me to my grave because you just you don't forget that experience. <laughs> if I'm there, I'll we'll have, we'll have it loaded I, on my phone ready I, I just in case. You, I thought you were just threatening to drown me. Of course. No, no if, 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 if I happen to be there when you're dying, I will play that. Okay, okay. That's that's all I meant. Nothing, nothing sinister. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got other bits of music, like the theme that plays when you open a chest in a Zelda title that, that somehow like perfectly conveys the sense of intrigue but also the sort of bombastic reward of actually like getting something new better than almost any other game yeah you've also got relevant to what we talked about with Mario that that crunch of notes that plays when you enter a warp pipe oh yeah you know all, all these little little musical cues are really really important but my favorite of, of any game is that when you win a stage in Peggle you get Beethoven's Ode to Joy uh, <laughs> every and, time every single time and the first time it happened I, I laughed out loud it was like this is really funny but it's also just the most rousing and, and joyous like last night at the prom style reward <laughs> for, for all your hard work in these stages yeah you know all, all you're doing essentially is, is bouncing a ball off some pegs but it still feels like when you hear that music that you've you've trudged through like trenches you, you've fought wars and and this is like your homecoming it's a, it's a really really well chosen piece of music the last time we made reference to Peggle, I think, properly was a few months ago when I angrily stopped playing Round Guard, which was oh, yeah. the, uh, the Peggle-inspired roguelike that I played two hours of a session for it to delete my progress, and I just never went back to it. And so for anyone that has not played that or has not played Peggle or doesn't know what we're talking about, all you're really doing is you control a small device at the top of the screen, spits out a little ball or like a, a ball bearing in the direction that you've chosen, and, and you're trying to kind of let the ball naturally fall down sort of a, a layout of pegs, uh, every level being kind of bespoke in its own, its own kind of layout. But in essence, like a pachinko machine that you drop a ball from the top and you watch it bounce down as it goes. The, the difference for Peggle and why it, it's a game as opposed to just an arcade thing that you're just sort of pumping money in for, for little tickets is that when you hit a peg, it's then cleared for the next turn. So the, the play field is always changing dynamically as you play that means that some shots then might get easier so it's easier to hit some pegs that were kind of out of the way or or hidden by other obstacles or sometimes it could mean that shots become a little bit riskier as there are less pegs to kind of like catch your ball as it falls down if, if you miss all you're doing to beat a stage is looking at the layout and thinking okay i need to clear every orange peg by hitting it and, and making it disappear and there's also blue pegs which which contribute to your score but you are in essence just trying to get rid of the, the orange pegs it's a very, very simple game. And I, I showed Georgia Peggle for the first time yesterday that she'd never heard of it, never seen it. But with no prior knowledge of the game, 
within 15 seconds she knew exactly what she was meant to be doing <laughs> yeah within about 30 seconds she was already getting excited by like the little score bonuses you get or or enjoying being rewarded for like accidentally making a long shot between two two orange pegs i heard her like shout i went off to the toilet and then came back and she was shouting because she managed to get a, a free ball in the bucket at the bottom yeah all these little things it's the, the whole game is like wired to just make you have fun and, and even when you can be very frustrated that you might have missed a shot, you might have narrowly missed out on beating a stage, there's enough in it that you've you've had kind of like a little endorphin rush as you've played the whole time. And, and it's very good at offering sort of player feedback to, to reward you and just hook you in constantly. It really is one of those sort of like classic one more go or, or one more level sort of games because it's just fun to play. The, the act of actually playing Peggle is, is very, very fun. Now, as I mentioned, I, I played Peggle for the first time on the Xbox 360, and I don't know why I picked it up at the time. For, for like wider context, at the same time, I was playing things like the original Gears of War. I, I was playing through Halo 3 cooperatively with, with a uni housemate. But Peggle is better than both of those games by, by some margin because it's, it's quicker and more simple to pick up. And, and whether you're kind of a, you know, a real seasoned player of something like Halo... I, I think Peggle has probably a higher skill ceiling <laughs> than, than something like real like Twitch deathmatch style games have because it can be played very, very casually. You know, PopCap, as I mentioned when I talked about Plants vs. Zombies weeks and weeks ago, they were the masters of sort of the casual game that had a real like hardcore underbelly. Yeah. And, and I think Peggle is, is the best example of, of that kind of design work. The game itself has an adventure mode it's like 50 odd levels i think maybe 55 in in the original game in each one you're you're attempting to clear the orange pegs and then once you've done that within a 10 ball allocation that you start with you move on to the next one some levels may take longer to to grind through if if you kind of like come across a sticking point of certain obstacles or layouts but generally if you put a bit of time into it i think everyone can beat the adventure mode quite quite easily if if you spend an hour here and there but it's it's the post game challenges that really test your ability that that idea of like the high skill ceiling because it has uh, like a whole bank of challenges that ask you to do things like beat levels with a certain score beat a level with with extra orange pegs so you have to clear more of the stage to actually get by beating levels using certain characters and their kind of unique abilities that means that perhaps you you can have a, an extra long guide that helps you kind of make a banked shot. Perhaps another character will, will allow you to kind of like trigger a few of the pegs just, just at random when you hit it to give you a little bit of help. But the most interesting ones for me were when it started to be things like, okay, you're beating a series of stages using a very limited number of, of balls. Like you might have three stages to beat with a starting well of, of only five balls or the real, real, you know, for mastery of peg or clearing all the pegs in a stage. They take hours. The challenges seriously will take hours. But what Peggle's strength is as a game is that it looks like it's a game built around luck when you start. It's something that you sort of just click mindlessly to send a ball down or press A mindlessly on the Xbox and and just hope you get something good out of it. But it's a game where everything can be learnt and mastered and controlled more than almost any other title I can think of. There's there's no randomised elements. It's, It's all down to just understanding the angles in the same way that people who are good at something like pool or snooker it's because they understand the angles of the table and they understand positional play and everything else and and peggle is is very much like that i haven't played peggle for years like this week is the first time i've picked it up for a long long time and yet in that time i was 
relearning those skills. I, I was re-understanding kind of the angles of the of the the play field. I was I was getting the hang of kind of the arc of how the ball is launched from the top of the screen because it's not really in a straight line because of gravity. I was understanding more about kind of if I bounce off a certain peg, the speed I was going to either pick up or, or lose because of the angle it's coming off it. And then getting better as well at things like manipulating how to score better to get free balls or or how certain character abilities might lend themselves better to certain layouts. Like I've mentioned a few times, like Peggle is, is very, very simple to understand and very, very approachable. But in execution, it it straddles that idea of casual and hardcore just so, so perfectly that it makes me feel really upset that EA, since they bought PopCap, have just run the studio into the ground. Mm. All they've done in that time is made free-to-play versions of, of good games. So Plants vs. Zombies 2, Peggle Blast. Or on top of that, just made endless sequels to that Plants vs. Zombies deathmatch game that I, <laughs> yeah. no one wants to play. Surely no one wants to play. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's played that. No, me neither. Like there, there are plenty of games <laughs> in that genre, but there are not plenty of games as good at tower defense as Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. And I don't understand how we've got to this point where that is the one we're forging forward with. At the height of my Peggle mania, when, when I was playing a lot of Peggle, not only did I beat all of the challenges in the game, but I also cleared every peg on every single stage. I think I mentioned this in a, in a podcast once before as like an offhand comment. It's a real challenge. <laughs> like it's got to be one of my best gaming achievements, I think, to beat Peggle 100%. <laughs> because every stage you're starting with with 10 balls, like I've mentioned. And as the stages get harder, sometimes you're having to clear 100 pegs or 120 pegs or 150 odd pegs. And, and it gets more and more challenging that you're really having to think about what I want to achieve with every single ball that I that I throw down. Yeah. Like some stages will, will fall quite easily. It would just take like a few goes. Others were proper like wars of attrition where the only way to beat them is to, to really analyze the stage and think, okay, if I'm really looking at this, if I always shoot to the top left with my first ball, that's a consistent angle I can't mess up and I can work out where the bucket needs to be to catch it. And and it's almost like writing yourself a script for what you can do on the first four or five shots. Yeah. It's it's a very like obsessive way to approach it, but it became the only way to beat some stages, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> like, eventually yes. having that kind of very methodical way of playing it, I, I've really, really enjoyed it. Like at, at my prime, of which I'm very far from right now, as I found out this week, <laughs> I, I could clear the majority of, of certain stages, some of the slightly easier ones, essentially by banking the ball off one peg into the bucket again and again and again. So I could clear about 50 or 60 pegs one at a time just by getting a free ball every time. Yeah. I played it so much at this period. Like I remember when I was, it was during my final year of university, I was, I was living in Hastings. I played it so much on my plasma TV at the time that I I burnt Peggle into the screen. Amazing, <laughs> like, like Peg, Peggle is is like a four by three game, so it's presented in the middle of your TV with just sort of borders either side, and and I had played it so much that those borders and the user interface were just stuck. <laughs> they were there Amazing. on every game I played, and the only way to fix it, I used to have to run a repeating video of just flashing lights every night when <laughs> I went to bed for like two months. <laughs> so I'd sort of just I just. <laughs> I'd just turn the TV to the wall so it wasn't like right in my eye line and just let it flash away for 12 hours. And next next day, just put Peggle on and try again until I'd beaten it. Ridiculous. Absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. I mean, Peggle's ongoing legacy, it's it's a strange one, like I mentioned with where we are now with the free-to-play stuff. It had one expansion 
not long after the original release, which was called Peggle Knights, which had a second adventure mode's worth of stages and challenges. I beat that 100% as well. Every single peg, every challenge, every stage. Obviously. A few years on, Peggle 2 got announced exclusively for the Xbox One. And for a long time, it was the only game that made me cover that system. <laughs> um, like, I was looking at it thinking like, yeah, I mean, Halo, it's just, it's a first person game, isn't it? And then it was like, oh, we got Forza Horizon, that'd be nice to play and, and everything else. But it, it was just Peggle. Peggle was the only thing I wanted. And when that then came out on the, the aging 360 and then later the PS4, I bought both versions. I've beaten both of those 100% as well. <laughs> all pegs, all challenges, all stages. That's insane. And finally, this week, what I have actually been putting the time into uh, on, on the PC is I found there was a weird crossover title that was developed alongside Valve called Peggle Extreme that basically is just Peggle but with Half-Life Portal and Team Fortress backgrounds. <laughs> Amazing. It's, it's only 10 stages. It's almost like a demo kind of thing, but it's got 10 stages, five challenges, and then obviously the, the challenge to try and hit every peg. And again, I've, I've done that this week. That's what I spent the time doing. So six, six or seven hours, I think it took, but Peggle Extreme is now done as well. And I can officially say I've beaten every Peggle game 100%. That's, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you can do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not one to talk about obsessively playing games. So, you know, I, I, I genuinely think that's brilliant. <laughs> I, f- I find it, like I said, really quite sad that the franchise has laid dormant for, for as long as it has. Like the... the Excellent ports of, of Peggle Deluxe and Peggle Knights were on the iPad, but have been delisted these days. You can't buy them anymore. They were never updated. Yeah, it's a real shame. And and your options for playing the original titles are, are essentially, if you had them on a console, great. You can still pull out your 360 or your PS3. But otherwise, it's, like I said, the Steam version with the kind of the low-res you know, presentation that's, that's not ideal. I mean, it was much nicer to see it kind of like crisp on a big screen. The free-to-play and, and upsettingly just largely pay-to-win spin-off that I mentioned called Peggle Blast on phones and tablets is just not fun mm. uh, and and it is annoying because of how much Peggle is a game about skill and Peggle Blast is a game about pure luck yeah it makes me very very angry that it's it's built around kind of randomized elements or it's built around little gimmicks and outcomes that mean that you can be a very good Peggle player as I think I am oh, well, well. <laughs> uh, and still fail levels consistently because in the same way, like Candy Crush will sometimes give you boards that are just not finishable. You you cannot win a level in Candy Crush if the game doesn't want you to be able to. Peggle Blast is basically the same thing. That sometimes it will be like, oh, we'll just we'll make them wait a few days just in case they want to put in some money. Mm-hmm. And and that's really just not in the spirit of, of what this franchise is to me. Yeah. If anyone has not played Peggle Deluxe, have a dig through your old console. <laughs> Maybe you bought it at some point. <laughs> Maybe it was like free with, with uh, you know, games with gold on the Xbox or PlayStation Plus at some point. I'm not sure. But I can almost guarantee that anyone who has not seen it, the first time you hear Ode to Joy, <laughs> it will make the achievement of beating that first level feel so much greater than it actually was. <laughs> You'll then struggle to tear yourself away. Like it's... It's it's a game that I really, really, really love. And even playing kind of this cut down version, Peggle Extreme this week, has reminded me how much I enjoy in this formula and that Round Guard, for, for all it tried to do, really didn't scratch that itch like I wanted it to. And to be honest, I don't think anything ever will unless PopCap finally are given reins to, to make Peggle 3 at some point. Well, there we go. I had a fantastic time playing Peggle on my phone, mm. as I did with Plants vs. Zombies. I think they're probably two of the games I put the most amount of time in on my phone. Absolutely brilliant. Like you said, PopCap are really are the masters of that sort of casual casual game with incredible depth. Yeah, just real dons, aren't yeah. they, of, of, of that kind of <laughs> formula. 
So, moving on, we have my game. Hello. Let's rewind. So, as I've said countless times before, I never had an N64, which meant I never played the original version of Mario 64, only the DS version, which was my 42nd favourite video game. And it's been a long time since I've played that, so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to revisiting that in 3D All-Stars. And because of that, it meant that Super Mario Sunshine was the first 3D Mario game I played, which means it's my 22nd favourite video game of all time. Is it today's game? Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I've obviously been thinking about Mario quite a lot in the last week, and I realised that my exposure to and experience with Mario was actually very limited up until the point I played Super Mario Sunshine. It's only been playing Mario All-Stars that I've kind of got a bit of a handle on how the series has developed and evolved and how much Mario Brothers 3, like I said, stepped things up so much from the original. And in playing a bit of Super Mario World, realising how much Mario 64 successfully translated that experience into, well, a new dimension. And it's quite phenomenal how well Nintendo have charted their course of progression for their mascot, Homeboy. Like, I remember when 3D platformers started becoming a thing. I, I, you know, I played a bit of the fairly poorly realised 32-bit attempts like Croc and, you know, I've said before, the, the 3D part of Sonic Jam and <laughs> and Sonic R. Oh, do you remember Croc? Legend of the Gobbos. Legend of the Gobshites. <laughs> I mean, my brain hadn't learned how to comprehend this new way of playing video games. Like, what we were chatting about last week, about how to best introduce new gamers to the medium... And we acknowledge that if you haven't kept up with the evolution of the industry, you'll be significantly out of your depth jumping in with a more sophisticated modern title. Like I've I've seen it a lot, especially with like online games recently as well, looking at stuff like GTA Online and No Man's Sky, and I mean less so Sea of Thieves. But I mean, you know, after a few years, developers just stop worrying about catering for new players coming to the game and just focus on refining and advancing the experience for people who are already playing and up to date. So in many ways, I was yet to be converted to the idea that 3D Mario could be a good thing, despite knowing that everyone loved Mario 64 and it was meant to be great. I'd seen Sega try and, to be honest, mostly fail to take Sonic to the third dimension with Sonic Adventure. It just, it it wasn't the same and, and it didn't feel right. And that's where Nintendo really cracked it. The 3D Mario games, whilst being totally different to the 2D Mario games in so many ways, still managed to feel like Mario games. And when I first got my hands on Super Mario Sunshine and my brain had started to get used to controlling my character in a 3D environment, you know, the game really started to click. And I I remember seeing my my good pal Alec Howard playing it. And whilst I hadn't developed my deftness of touch with the game to pull off manoeuvres that he was able to do, I remember seeing the the red coins balancing on, on high wires and thinking, I know I can do that. I just need to practice and I'll be able to pull it off as well. And I think I eventually borrowed the game from Alec to try it out myself. At some point down the line, I bought a copy of my own. But I think it's testament to just how well made the game is that I don't remember the period of struggling to learn the controls and the new mechanics. I remember it being a bit confusing at the start. And then I must have got to grips with it and everything pretty quickly and easily because all I can remember is having an absolutely wonderful time jumping, flipping, hovering, rolling, sliding around these amazing 3D worlds. Some of the classical gas. Just having a bloody good shit. <laughs> we all talk about just how incredibly fluid, natural and organic the movement is in Super Mario Odyssey. But the amount that Super Mario Sunshine did to lay the groundwork for Odyssey and, you know, presumably Galaxy as well, it can't be ignored. 
like when I had played the original Mario 64, I, I always struggled with the movement. And I think that's partly down to the design of the N64 controller and the analog stick, which just never, ugh, just never felt right to me. But the GameCube controller didn't have this problem. And it allowed Nintendo to, to not only refine the core control mechanics of Mario, but also add in the, the flood mechanics as well. And flood is, of course, Mario's water-powered backpack, allowing you to fire water on all the dirty paint and enemies, using it to blast you into the air, and also, probably most crucially, allowing you to, to hover. But you had to keep an eye on its tank as well, because it ran out of water. Because if it ran out of water, you'd plummet back down to Earth. And when you get the hang of the versatility that Flood has to offer you, and you start to use it in combination with all of your normal movement mechanics, you begin to pull off like huge chains of, of movement to allow you to reach seemingly impossible areas. And it's, it's just so satisfying. My favourite thing to do with it, though, was to spray a bit of water on the ground in front of you and then dive onto it. And then you would slide and, and gather speed at an incredible Hooray! pace. Oh, classic speed tech. Yeah. Oh, it was just great fun. It was also incredibly satisfying just to clean up the island with it. Like, I mean, it helped. The paint looked really good. It was all gloopy and shiny and mucky. And then the water was all sparkling, crystal clear and pure. And I mean, for someone with OCD, I, I mean, I had a great time just following the mucky footprints of Shadow Mario and making the island a nice, clean place again. <laughs> you know, Barry Scott, eat your heart out. <laughs> now, the game is structured quite similarly to Mario 64 with a sort of main hub area in Delfino Plaza and then various portals to different locations which will have their own set of levels and, and boss in them but then there's also loads of other bits and bobs hidden around delfino plaza and extra objectives in all of the worlds to hunt down to get all the shines in the game and the shines in the game it's this game's equivalent of, of stars from mario 64 moons from odyssey presumably i don't know asteroids or black holes or white dwarves or some <laughs> other heavenly body in galaxy <laughs> So in each of these locations, there would always be a shine available for getting 100 coins and there would be eight red coins to hunt down with a shine for getting all of them and, you know, some other little little side quests that you'd have to really dig to find and, and lots of that stuff. The main overarching story sees you track down and defeat Shadow Mario, who has framed you for mass graffiti uh, across the island of Delfino. The fact that you could be confused with a being made entirely out of sloppy paint is proof that the Piantas have the same quality of vision as they do chiselled features, <laughs> uh, namely none at all. Pudgy <laughs> wankers. <laughs> but I mean, they're great to see just plodding about, their big wobbly noses, their little palm trees growing out of the top of their heads, their bright colours making the place even more happier and bright and lovely than it already is. Like, as an aside, I always get just a real shiver of happiness up my spine when I see them in the background of like some of the Mario Kart games. Just They're just joyous, joyous things. It's quite impressive that the game has as much variety in the levels and the areas as it does because it's all set on one island and all of the different locations in the game feel like they're part of one place, but they managed to, to really carve out their own identities really well. You've got the first area, Bianco Hills, which has got some lovely windmills and a nice lake and uh, some previously mentioned high wire bouncy things, which is great. Then there was Rico Harbour, which was a, it was a very cool area with, with a boatyard and, and lots of scaffolding and, and cranes, which I, I always think of whenever I watch the opening sequence of Casino Royale, mm. when he's doing that free running chase and he ends up on top of like some scaffolding. It always makes me think of, uh, of that harbour. In, uh, in Mario Sunshine. And uh, the, the sense of scale in that area was, was great. Like you really felt 
like you got a real sense of vertigo, like the higher you climbed and, and you needed to get all the way to the most precarious parts of it to get all of the various collectibles. Brilliant. Then there was Galato Beach, which was a lovely area, mainly uh, burned in my mind from an absurd watermelon-based level, which I think may frustrate a lot of people. It certainly frustrated me, but overall, I, I enjoyed it very much because it was um, ridiculous. Then there's uh, Pinna Park, which is a little theme park location on the island, which I always thought was quite joyous, but I've seen a lot of hate for it online uh, <laughs> because uh, some people massively criticising the unfairness of the roller coaster mechanics. But uh, whatever I say, it's a roller coaster. Deal with it. A location that did genuinely rankle me a little bit was Sirena Beach, which was this beautiful sunset-drenched area housing a, a, a haunted hotel. I usually hate ghost themed levels in Mario games but the hotel bit didn't mind at all and it was actually quite fun to explore its little secrets it sort of reminded me of Luigi's Mansion a bit I mean understandably so because it's a haunted house and you're exploring it you don't have a hoover though but you've got a, a, the opposite of a hoover a super soaker <laughs> is that is that the opposite <laughs> is, is that how that binary divide works <laughs> <laughs> yep. But the first level in this uh, little location sees you try and fight a giant shadow manta ray that's spreading across the entire beach. And it always took me so fucking long to get past that section. It's the only level in the game that I, I'm not looking forward to playing again. <laughs> <laughs> then there was Noki Bay, which was a beautiful location. Loads of lovely water, like waterfalls and shells, admittedly. A dreadful eel, minty, but... Really lovely, all the same. Although I do remember there being some camera issues in some of those, some some areas, because I think you could run into the walls and stuff. There's, I mean, there's a standard final volcano area, but possibly my favourite location in the game is the one I haven't mentioned, which is the Pianta Village. And this was really, really cool to see. I mean, it's great just to see Piantas, just being Piantas. And they had like some little pet chain chomps and some excellent mushroom work. Very, very good. Very strong. And also an entire underside to the village that sees you being able to like monkey bar under the entire area, which was just really cool and i found that that whole place like really atmospheric and i, I can't wait to explore all those areas again in a couple of weeks time I'm, I'm so excited i alluded to another element in the game when i was talking about odyssey and in odyssey there's those special levels you had where your hat is taken away from you and i think my absolute favorite bits of mario sunshine were these hidden levels that removed flood from you and saw you having to traverse ab absurd obstacle courses au naturel in the nude and not in the nude <laughs> and some of these were just so dastardly utterly fiendish but it felt like that was like a pure refined mario 3d experience i just i love them it's i mean it really set me up to to really enjoy mario 3d land on 3ds which had loads of this sort of stuff in which is brilliant and one of the reasons why i'm so excited to finally play super mario 3d world I mean, there's not really much more to say about the game. I mean, it's incredibly fun to play. It's absolutely joyous world to be in. Great mechanics all round. Just a stellar, stellar game. I also don't want to say too much more for now either, because I know you'll be diving in for your first time with it very soon. Chris, I will. I, I've, I'm won't thinking you? with that collection that I'm going to go straight for Sunshine. Yeah. Because as much as I would love to go through 64 again, it's a game I've beaten several times and Sunshine is totally new to me, really. Outside of, I think I played the first world, maybe completed that and then for some reason stopped. Yeah. So so this is the one I want to, want to spend some time with. Excellent. Well, I very, very much look forward to discussing the game with you in greater depth as you make your way through it. 
But yes, for now, I'll just say Super Mario Flipping Sunshine. How flipping wonderful. 22nd favourite video game of all time. Yeah, super. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad you went through every level in detail because I've, j- I've just been sat here gripping the carpet like, oh yeah, I'm there. <laughs> and I'm ready for the f- I'm ready for it to come on the 18th or whenever it is. Oh, I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. Good, good. I'm so glad. I, I just... I mean... Nintendo are really good at making games, aren't they? And like Mario games are so good. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so good. So lastly, but not leastly, we have Minty Booth. Can you please tell us about your 22nd favourite video game of all time, please, Clement? Minty. Yes. I'm going to start today's segment with the poser. What are your three goals in life? Oh, um, uh, get married, which I've done, which is great, to a wonderful wife. That was, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, there were, there were times when I didn't think that was going to happen, <laughs> but it has, and that's wonderful. Win an Oscar, which I'm working on. Um, don't know. Don't know what a third one is. Raise a good child, I that's think. That's good. That's Great. good. Well, my wife's working on more actively <laughs> than I am at the moment. For, for me, I, I want to, one day I want to I want to have a family. Like, I, I do want to have kids one day. I'm not sure what, what time I'm going to get to that stage, but I would like to one day. I think I want to be in a position with my teaching and my work where I feel I am I'm very good at what I do and and I think I'm I'm okay but I I don't think I'm I'm quite as good as I could be. And third, I want to be involved in the production of a game at some point and have someone else play it and go good job. Mm. I I think I'd really like that because we spend so much time talking about them. I spend so much time thinking about them, but I would I would love to be actively involved in in some capacity outside of just like spending a tenner to have your name in the credits from Kickstarter. How about you, Minty? Well, here are mine. I want to set a politician's car on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I want to leave a big bag of dog shit outside the staff entrance of the home office. (laughs) And I want a game that not only provides exciting, fluid gameplay mechanics, but also holds the established and, quite frankly, completely bullshit canon of the series it's based on with a featherlight touch, and provides thousands, thousands of hours of gameplay that never becomes repetitive. A game that says, this is how you play, now fight your way through every single game in the series on our terms. Weird to think that Hyrule Warriors was met with with scepticism when it was announced, considering the general structure of every Zelda game is just, boy discovers destiny, but becomes involved in something worldwide. Boy saves the day. Why wouldn't that work as a Dynasty Warriors (laughs) spin-off? For clarity, my game today is the definitive edition of Hyrule Warriors, released on the Switch. Wonderful. It edged out the vanilla version because I didn't get the 3DS version. And the Switch one has the Wind Waker contact added. And I really like the character model for the big blins from the 3DS Zelda games. Yeah, Yeah, they're fun to just smack around, aren't they? (laughs) Anyway, my first exposure to to Musu games, when when I played maybe Dynasty Warriors 7 at a friend's house... After you'd given us a thorough paddling, <laughs> you start off a new campaign. <laughs> I was not prepared for that R. <laughs> we started off in a new save file, and I had fun sort of bumbling around the first couple of levels at the skill level of a novice just before my friend 
took the controller and did a little menu wizardry and let me uh, play as a super-powered a late game Lu Boo for a while, so I've enjoyed both ends of the Dynasty Warriors spectrum, but this was my first time going from one end to the other. Obviously Link is going to be the, the, the Lu Boo of the game, rather the, the, the OP character, poster boy for the series, spread of weapons, very elemental attributes, the one you use in the story mode, so he's the strongest you'll have by the end, but it doesn't really matter thanks to the leveling system. You can overlevel Link and spend rupees to level up other characters to the same level. I really like that, and I really appreciate the leg up it gives, especially when you unlock characters so late in adventure mode, which is what I'm going to come on to next. Following the disguise model of the main game is the tutorial. Yeah. Hyrule Warriors has you unlock a wide-reaching and familiar roster of characters from all across the series for letting you loose on maps with hundreds of levels. Hundreds of levels, based on pretty much every game from the series. Every segment of the map has a different character you need to play as, and something new to unlock. Perhaps grid reference E2 will give you a bomb that you can then use to unlock map square G8. And then that will unlock the secret character Zant. Use Zant on map reference J9 to unlock a new weapon for uh, Midna. That new weapon with Midna on B3, you could use that to, uh, to gain more health. Every battle you do gives you something. It bolsters you. It gives you a reason to fight. It doesn't even matter that you've beaten the game at that point, the main game. The sheer thrill and joy is conquest, crushing thousands of enemies, and a few deft sword swings, unlocking map square by the bucket load. <laughs> it's the word cascade given form in an interactive experience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. What a line. <laughs> I listened back to what Jonathan had to say about this game and the Zelda series in general. More specifically, the absolute shit show of the Zelda timeline. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that Hyrule Warriors is the perfect culmination of every iteration of the Fated Three. I don't really understand why feckless, sweaty nerds are so intent <laughs> on slapping an order onto the events of the Zelda teams. Mm. It, it doesn't matter. Think of it like getting, getting a delicious milkshake. <laughs> Obviously, one of the things you want to do is... However, briefly, and if no one's looking, is just blow some bubbles into it. <laughs> Each bubble is a Zelda game. There's no rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason to what order they pop up in. But they're all there, and it's so fun. Just just enjoy the effervescence. <laughs> Almost every Zelda game has been or will be on my list, and for good reason. Each game is wonderful, and there's so much fun to play, but this collection of the struggles of the heroes of the Triforce is an astoundingly fun game. A whistle-stop tour of the entire Zelda timeline that does away with the order of events, but rather focuses on the greater evils vanquished, the challenges overcome, the allies gained and the set pieces visited. If you have a copy of the Hyrule Historia and cling to it as the definitive authority of the order of events happened, please, just... Just throw it away, rethink your priorities, and then treat the joyful effervescence of Hyrule Warriors as your guide. Please, have some fun with it. Just enjoy this game, please. It's R3 Sense approved. It is R3 Sense approved. There it is, yeah. Fantastic. It is, it's, a fun, it's just an amazing game. Absolutely amazing. I'm so glad that you two love it. Like, well... Not quite as much, and more than me, respectively. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm so thrilled. I really, 
I really wish it had online co-op. That is the only thing, because then I think we would play a lot of it together. Yeah. So there we have it. Another three games, plus a whole bunch more you didn't ask for. First of all, we had... Peggle Deluxe. And then we had... Super Mario Sunshine before finally Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition. Oh yeah. Absolutely amazing. Screamers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share the podcast on social media. You can reach out to us on our various channels. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash our three cents. You can find us on Instagram at O3C Podcast. You can find us on YouTube. Search for Our Three Cents. You can find us on Twitch at O3C Podcast. Or you can reach out to us individual-like. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. Please do check out the Patreon page if you're enjoying what we're doing and fancy getting a bit more or just supporting us a little bit more. We would be hugely appreciative of that. But for now, we shall say fairly well, and please do join us next time for our 21st favourite video games of all time. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What mad universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network.